What's up, everybody? It's your old friend, John Middlecoff. I'm here to tell you about our friends at Game Time. Here's what I need you to do. Go to your smartphone, download a little app called Game Time. Baseball season's in full swing. Oracle Park. Been there a million times. Never doesn't live up to the hype. Go get yourself some garlic fries, a brewski, maybe uh, some ice cream. They have very good Ghirardelli ice cream there. And when you do that, promo code HAM. So download the Game Time app. Your first pair of tickets, promo code HAM, H-A-M, save $20. The A's, only going to be in the Bay Area for the rest of this season. You probably can basically go for free. Just buy a pair of tickets to any baseball game. They also have comedy shows if you want to check one of those out, or concerts. Game Time app, promo code HAM, save yourself $20. We don't even need to thank you. Just hammer that promo code. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Amy Habes! Welcome to another day, another pod. Another, uh, I don't know, I, I did I did make a new personal rule after our last podcast, which is uh, always check Twitter before the podcast is over and you shut everything down in case there's breaking news. <laughs> you never know when a guy's going to break his leg, get traded, league's going to end. Uh, you just, we've been hit with a couple of curveballs here in the last, feels like two weeks. Got, got lulled to, uh, got lulled to sleep on uh, not checking Twitter throughout the podcast in case something breaks. And that was a mistake. No, you, it is. We so. need a, we need, we might need to get an intern that just checks on Twitter and just sends <laughs> us, uh, sends us an email. Yeah. If, uh, Debo, you know, breaks his foot or Cam Newton goes to the Patriots. I don't know. Those might be, uh, pertinent to what we talk about. We do have some actual uh, news to discuss on this podcast, but we thought we would try something different. Middlecoff had the idea a few weeks ago to do a couple of uh, how-to videos slash yeah, podcast prof- topics. Professional, professional building. Yeah. This is like, we'll, we'll, we'll post these on our LinkedIn pages. Um, <laughs> so this week we'll do them. We're going to do on this, this podcast today, how to become an NFL scout. And we'll do on the next podcast, how to become a broadcaster, like a play-by-play person. Well, think about this guy. Because you and I Two get those on, questions all the time. Yeah, I think we both get questions, uh, a lot of questions from younger people. And we're lucky. We got a young demo. It's what everyone's shooting for. Because with a young demo, you can build a you know, brand over a 30-year period. But That's no right, idea. loyalty. But, but the reality is, is that, listen, we had some unique jobs. I mean, we still technically do. But that when we were really young, I mean, you've called baseball, you've called NBA and Major League Baseball games. You've called Division One college football games for Fox Sports 1. I worked in the NFL as a scout, and you just get, often get people that ask you, like, how do I become a broadcaster? I get it all yeah. the time. How do I work for a team? We both didn't start, like, in the big leagues, right? I mean, I, we started doing shitty stuff, and it sucked. And I can't even imagine doing it now. But I often recommend doing it when you want to kind of get your foot in the door and go to where you want to go. So we might as well use our knowledge, help people out, guy. Helping people on, help John. people. What are we if we're not passing it on? What's it called? Push forward? 
Pay it forward. Move it forward. Pay it forward. <laughs> Pay it forward. Yeah. So we we'll got you, the youth. I love the youth. Yeah. We'll do that today for the youth, for the kids, or the non kids who are like, you know what? Time to pivot. I'm 44. You know the great part about America, guy? No one forces you to do anything. You can always do whatever you want to do. Now, you might have to take financial pay cuts. It might be tough on your family. But no one forces you to be unhappy in life. That's that's my number one advice from Tony Middlecoff over here. That's good. That's good. Now, we're not going to force you. We will ask you to leave a review on iTunes for this podcast or wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate that. Hit us with a review. And in that review, when you give us five stars, also... Ask us a question. Uh, we've also gotten people slide in the DMs for the mailbag, so ham mailbag, throw that at us. Uh, podcast today brought to you by Manscaped.com. Promo code ham. Get clean. Get smooth. Get trim. Do it right now. Manscaped.com. Promo code ham. Get on it, people. Also, get your sleep. Sleepnumber.com slash ham. Sleepnumber.com slash ham. We have sleep number beds. You should have sleep number beds. I'm telling you, get on it. Okay, so uh, how to become a scout. Part one in our how-to series coming up later in the podcast today. The uh, the piece of news we got the other day, we're maximizing every uh, every millimeter of Belichick and Cam. We did have Julian Edelman has tweeted, uh, at Cam, you retweeted in my timeline, you made me aware of the Cam farewell video with Boys to Men. It's so hard to say goodbye. Why is Cam's goodbye ten times better than the Panthers' goodbye to Cam? Cam's got some fire content. I'll, I'll give him that. Fire content for Cam. I good mean, content creator. Video was so good. Yeah, I, I, I think it... I think Cam... And I've been saying this for a while. Anytime you take a job seriously or a relationship seriously, when you get broken up with, even if clearly Cam, this last couple years have been weird, it's hard, man. I, I, I do understand he probably knows he needed a new start now he said a couple times I did not want to leave the Panthers because I think he did not want to leave the Panthers though I think he'll look back in a couple years and go that's the best thing that ever happened to me potentially because they're going in a different direction I need to go in a different direction but I think you see the genuine like I don't think this is easy for him right now part of it's taking a huge pay cut but he's as I talked to someone yesterday he's so rich it's not He's going to end up making a lot of money. His brand's big. It's, you know, if he can resurrect his career, he'll make huge cash immediately next year. I think it's more of just like, you fuckers don't want me? Like this franchise? Yeah. Remember when Ron Rivera said it, I thought perfectly in his press conference when he said, when I went into a store, you could not find a Carolina shirt, let alone seeing someone wear a Panther hats and shirts. And he's like, now you can't go anywhere without people taking a lot of pride. And listen, Ron was a huge part of it. But I think the number one reason for the brand stuff and the reason I think you see every 15-year-old kid is that dude resonated. You know, I, I know he doesn't have the success, but is there a level of Steph Curry-type impact in that little area of just an NFL superstar that you go, Cam Newton's our guy? A- and he's going to war in that division, which I- I've never... I don't like the AFC South. I actually don't mind the NFC South. Where you just go, our guy goes against Matt Ryan and Drew Brees and Hanks, Right. So you take a lot of pride in them. Yeah, my guess would be, too, it's not even about the local impact, right? It would be the whole, uh, I'm going to be your mom's favorite quarterback commercial. Like, Cam, I would bet there were, you go into your mall, a mall in Indiana, and all of a sudden there were Panthers jerseys where there weren't Panthers jerseys before, right? Yeah, they, they, they became a cool brand because of him. Um, you know, and, then I, he was t- and then he was told to kick rocks. 
my one of my takes uh, developed over the last couple of days is kind of thinking about because we I hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about what the Patriots ceiling or floor was going to be this year without pre Cam Newton. Um, other than to say it was going to be interesting. But I think you made the point on the last podcast. I think you're right. Like, they were going to be an interesting story. They were not going to be appointment viewing every Sunday like the Bucks are going to be. Um, but so, you know, now please shoot shoot holes in, in, um, in this part of it because it's not really that many games. Belichick in his Patriots career, I'm taking out his Jets and his – I'm taking certainly taking as Browns time. It's Jets time. You can't even take it. It doesn't exist. Um, but in his Patriots career, he won 237 games and has lost 83. That's Bill. 237 and 83. Brady, 219 and 64. So a lot of their winning done together, and boy, it was a lot of winning. That means Bill was 18 and 19 without Tom. Not a ton of games, not consistent over any era, right? It's spread out. It's got some some uh, Castle. It's got some Garoppolo. It's got uh, some Brissette. And, of course, it's got Bledsoe. But, basically, Bill is a 500 coach in New England without Tom. I'd say that's pretty good. It doesn't mean Bill needs Tom. Being a 500 coach without Tom Brady, usually in weird circumstances, right, because it's a guy getting hurt or suspended, is pretty good. By that measure, I think we can reasonably say Jarrett Stidham's the quarterback for 16 games. It's reasonable to say the Patriots were going to be a 7-9 or an 8-8 eight eight team, right? Now, people might say, oh, what about their this or their that or what they lost? You could Maybe you want to make an argument that they're going to win six games. I would not make that argument this year. So that's good. That, that If you told me the Patriots were 8-8 eight eight this year with Jarrett Stidham, I'd say that that's pretty impressive from Bill Belichick. Now... If Cam's healthy, this is 10, 11, perhaps. Um, and, you know, I re- the conclusion I reached through going through all of that is that they need Cam more than Cam needs them. They need Cam to be healthy more than Cam needed to be on their team. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back okay. because I would siphon out the first year he was there. The Bledsoe He went 5-11, and 11, the Bledsoe year. He was still, to me, Cleveland Browns, Belichick, a lot of unknown, was not viewed what he became. I would say post-2001, once he makes Brady the quarterback, and they go 11-5 and they win their first Super Bowl. For the next 19 years, if you take out that 5-11 and season, he's 13-8. and With Castle, with Jacoby, with Garoppolo, you know, he's he obviously won the 11 games with Castle. He won multiple games with Jimmy, and he won one with Jacoby. So actually, am I math wrong? Yeah. So... I, I view Belichick as now. I think this year was weird. Like we knew at the time when Tom got suspended, I think Jimmy was highly thought of. Like they have this legit backup. No one's really seen him beside preseason, but like I think this guy's got a chance to be good. And they had kind of been hyping him up, so it wasn't out of the realm of possibility. Once Jimmy had the game and a half before he got hurt uh, against the Dolphins, where it's like, okay, this kid's pretty good. Now Jacoby was a major mystery. So there was a huge mystery this year because. The Stidham hype was not the Garoppolo hype, right? He was a later pick. A lot of like, well, you know, the Auburn, not a great scheme fit. Belichick, they think they could work some stuff better. There was a lot of unknowns. Like, Cam, there's way less unknowns if he's healthy. Like, to me, that 13-8, and eight, like, they're just, they're just going to have a winning record if Cam is healthy. Because Cam wins 
when he's healthy with Ron Rivera, who's right. not anywhere near the coach of Belichick. And you'd say, well, this roster, the last couple of years in Carolina, their defense was atrocious. The Patriots' defense was one of the better defenses last year. They have everyone coming back. Well, I guess they lost like Van Oy, but they all, they're going to be solid on defense. They have some pieces on offense and a good offensive line, and they're always good on special teams. And they got Belichick. So your pushback is that calling Bill a 500 coach without Tom is not fair to Bill? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'd say in the what Belichick became over the 20-year period. Because I think it's one of the unique times where you go, each of them, you can like separate them each. We argue so much, was it Bill or was it Tom? Here's what I know. Both of them are fucking dominant. <laughs> I, I've seen Bill do these things that no one thinks of, right? Remember last year when he's counting down the clock under the five minutes on the way he like did the punt thing? And I mean, Harbaugh's losing his it's shit years penalty, ago. It's the, the application of a penalty. And didn't they change that rule this offseason? You're not allowed yeah, to run it down. Yeah, after Vrabel did it. <laughs> and, yeah, and then, well, and who's he a protege of? And remember who. Was it when Edelman threw the double pass and Harbaugh's like, he wasn't fucking lined up. And Belichick, well, that's the rule because we stole it from Alabama or whatever. And it's just, he's all, like, no one disputes. Even people that hate the Patriots go, God, Belichick's a genius. It's not even like separate from just kicking ass with Tom, right? It's all these little things that, how does he think of this stuff? Yeah, let me be clear. I'm not saying I think he's a 500 coach without Tom. I think he's I know, I just think when you say that. No, I just want to, just so people understand. I'm saying that's just what he has been, and if that's his floor, then with Cam, he's going to be through the roof. You're saying that we shouldn't even use 500 without Tom because it includes the first year. We should only use once he really got the operation rolling. Well, in that case, you and I still reach the same conclusion, which is how is this team not going to win 10 or 11 games? I guess if I really wanted to get nuanced, too, about the pushback, the guy that he inherited, this quarterback, Drew Bledsoe, who was the former number one overall pick and who actually had been to a Super Bowl, right? It wasn't like he was just some overhyped number one pick. Like He had had success making a lot of money. Two years later, Belichick tra- trades him to a division rival. <laughs> so ultimately, yeah. Belichick showed you he didn't even think he was that good. And at the time, when he made Brady the quarterback, they liked Tom. When you go to a six-round quarterback, you're not thinking that you just found Tom Brady, right? They just thought Tom was better than Drew. And obviously everything played itself out, and we could talk about this all day long. I also think a pushback I'd have that I'm finding myself naturally kind of hyping this up as well as you, and I think we all think, like, if Cam's healthy, they're going to win 10 games because that's what it all shows us. Belichick showed you what he thinks of Cam Newton. I get he didn't have any offers, but he offered him a veteran minimum contract. So it's not like he's pounding the table that we're just, I think this guy's some star. Right. Yeah, but don't. But but if there's one car left on the car lot and it's worth forty five thousand dollars and no one's buying it, and you just you have them over a barrel and you can pay them fifteen thousand for it, you're just gonna pay them thirty thousand just because it's like, well, now we both win. But my, my my point is though, guy, like if you thought Cam could still be Cam, you would give him like a multiple year contract. Right. This is just yeah. A, I mean, a low I, but, risk flyer with zero downside. But, I, but, but couldn't you argue that the reason he doesn't have a that, that the reason you don't think he is uh, going to be Cam again is just that he's been hurt every year now for three years running? Well, like that's yeah, not about ability. That might just be about injury. Why give somebody more than you have to give them? But there's also a chance that Belichick doesn't think of Cam in the terms that we're all talking about it. He just saw a value play worth the risk, and yeah, he's but, not really thinking about it that much. Yeah, but it might also be that he goes. I don't know how he'll how how I'll like coaching him. 
I mean, you can't point. deny yeah. how good he's been when he's been healthy, though. Right. I think he's played well against the Patriots twice too. Over the last <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Barnwell, I think, wrote about that. And but he also got hurt against him in the preseason. I think that's now, when he got again. The he's injury. played well against a lot. Like a lot of people have seen this guy play well. He's a very, very talented player. But I, I think there's still a lot of things to be. What's going to be fascinating is that the media won't be allowed from like a geeky scouting standpoint. When you follow, like when you go to training camp, the entire front office of an NFL team is covering the entire league, right? Because you never know who's going to get cut. You play half the league, so you got to monitor position. One fascinating part about you and I have been to countless training camp practices over the last decade. When you go to a training camp practice, it's one thing like, of course you expect to see Joe Staley with the starters or whatever. But there are every year guys that are signed like, is, uh, is so-and-so an immediate starter? Right, who is Cam Newton running with? Right, and these practices, I would imagine, are all going to be closed because of Corona. And it's not like Belichick. Yeah, I had Cam running with the threes. Like he ain't going to say. Anything. Yeah, given the circumstances, I'm going to be a little more transparent with you guys. I've printed out this snap sheet spreadsheet. What would be the first thing Mike Reese tweeted from practice? Practice one with Pat. Snap count. Who was the starting quarterback for the ones? Right. Now Bill might say we're just going to rotate everyone through. But that would be the one of the biggest stories, I'd say, in all of training camp, right? Well, and if Is it's 50-50, it'd be completion percentages, and Cam was 7 of 14 or 8 of 10, right? Is, honestly, is there a chance that Cam Newton's reps, who was the starting quarterback for the Patriots, would be the num- one of the number one stories? And just how Brady looks at practice with these guys would be a huge story, right? Completion percentage, what he looks like throwing to Evans, maybe he's struggling with O.J. Howard, you know, just... Those I would, would say be Cam is. A, I think Cam is almost in some ways a bigger story just because Tom. We just kind of assume in practice Tom will be. They'll figure that and, out. Like and Tom's fine. the starter. There's not that much unknown. It's Cam will drama. just be like Stidham started today. Cam ran with the twos. Yeah. Right. Yep. Or Cam got his chance with the ones and didn't play well. Yeah. It would. It, you're right. I mean, I I think it'd probably be the number one story in the NFL. Just Cam's rotation with Belichick and how his reps are. Because no one would dispute, like, well, it's up to Josh. No, it's this Bill show, right? <laughs> when they meet in the morning at 7 a.m. staff meeting to just go over what they're going to do at practice, Josh might throw it out. Here's what I'm thinking. Well, if Bill ain't thinking that, it's changing to what Bill's thinking. Right. I want to see Cam get more reps, or I want to see Stidham get this. And that's the one part about the NFL that – as training camp hits, guy, there's going to be a lot of unknown. And we talk about this for a living. I, my friends do this for a living, covering it and try to. The, I don't, the information, how's it going to get out? You actually can manipulate it with your own, you know, the Belichick guys that got nailed for the Bengals. Like you could put out your own videos on the website, and people in the media are going to have to take that and just try to, you know, prognosticate off just some videos that get tweeted out. Damn, is that Jalen Rieger running with the threes? Is this a missed pick? Like th- these takes are just going to happen because no one's there to say anything. Yeah, I don't. I think any video that gets put out will be put out in a way that you cannot get any conclusion from it, or it'll make a guy look good, like a guy they drafted look good. I think that there'll be a lot of that. Yeah. Like, oh, Brandon John Ayuk, Ross these- breakout year. <laughs> exactly, Dante Pettis back. You know, Solomon Th- sacked from Solomon Thomas. Like, guys, Jesus. All right, well, how about the uh, – we were reading this story by uh, Vinny Bonsignor, John, in the uh, Las Vegas Review-Journal 
Why are you smiling? Funny, he gets some pretty he gets some pretty good access. He does. Uh, this is what he wrote on Monday. One of the subjects of a Zoom meeting last week, Thursday, with NFL team owners and Roger Goodell was the health of players amid the coronavirus pandemic, particularly on game day. The idea of uh, tarping off the first eight rows of the stadium and maybe having advertising on that was discussed. There was one dissenting vote. Mark Davis forcefully expressed his misgivings. The measure still passed 31 to 1, requiring teams to tarp off the first eight rows, but having the ability to sell advertising on them. I can't imagine telling one fan they cannot attend the opening game of our inaugural season in Vegas at the most magnificent stadium that they helped build, let alone tell 3,500 fans that their seats are gone for the entire season, Davis said. Those seats are in the front rows of some of our most ardent fans, including members of the famed Black Hole. You think I want to sell advertising on their seats? Creativity will be necessary. One of our executives came up with a solution, one which Vegas will be familiar, but the league shot it down dismissively. We're not ready to give up yet. We will do everything we can to see that all our friends are able to attend every game this season. Things are getting a little dicey in Vegas. That's not ideal. The league's already telling them that you're wrong, and they're clearly on a page that no one else in the league is on. Well, and not just that they said no or that they voted against, but the word he used was dismissively, meaning I'm kind of offended by the way they responded to my suggestion. That's how yeah, I interpret and, that. And honestly, the NFL, if you flipped it on their side, was kind of like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? This is moronic. This is not a debate, yeah. Look, yeah, th- this. anyone that listened to us for a long time know that we did not think they would leave Oakland because we didn't think they could. We bet against them. They left. We were wrong. Once they were gone, I think you and I both said, can't blame them for taking the deal they took. It's not like Oakland was easy for them. Oakland was going to be really difficult for them to make work and really expensive, and Nevada just dropped a pot of money in their laps. And the Raiders didn't have any money. And they didn't have any money. So I, I don't bl- – I mean, like, I get it. You and I have talked to Mark Davis. I don't think we've interviewed him before. We've talked to him out at camp over the course of a few years when we were out there doing radio. Um, and I, we both totally get it. But I think what we're seeing here partly is that the NFL either was smart about it or they dodged a bullet if they ever really considered putting the Raiders and the Chargers in L.A. together. Because the Chargers would be a big story without Stan Kroenke's ability to run the whole show in L.A. And right now the Raiders are, I mean, desperately it seems like fighting against what the rest of the league is accepting as the status quo, which we have to assume is in large part because of, not because they love their fans more, although I do think Mark does have some affinity for the black hole, but because of the money. Well, I think if you take the two and you separate them out, Vegas was the only option that made sense for Mark because they were going to finance a large percentage of it for a guy that didn't have any money, and they could use this hotel tax. And I, I've had multiple people tell me this. Whenever you go, God, your business is, is recession-proof. You can't never lose. And any, whenever you say that to someone who's successful, they'll always tell you, that is just not true. Yeah. At any moment, something can happen. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that, especially when times are good and everyone's making money. These last three or four months have been just a kick in the dick for every human, right? We've all had to kind of like, whoa, it is a good reminder that things that are out of your control, let alone, I'm not talking about like screwing up a product or treating your consumer shitty, just something that no one was doing anything wrong and just fucking Corona comes, right? And who did that directly impact the most? Places like Vegas who shut down the casinos and where all the tax money was won 
that, they, that Mark Davis was going to get was based on the rooms, which I would have said foolproof fan, uh, plan, right? Because casinos are always going to be packed. Whether the economy is up or down, people are always going to Vegas. And then they had to shut down. And then you factor in that unlike Cronky, who we'll get to in a second, Mark was so dependent on this money. Well, yeah, he's the owner of the team. He's kind of partners with these guys right now, right? Like the, the casinos, who I would imagine, and they'll never admit to this, they always act in like fans bought all the seats. I think it's fair to assume casinos bought a large percentage of the seats. I would imagine they bought the huge percentage of the suites. Because when you go to, with people in the know to Levi's, they'll always go, oh, that's, that's Google Suite, that's the big construction suite. It's Guy Haberman and John Middlecoff, if we were rich as shit, aren't buying a seat at an NFL stadium, right? We might buy th- four seats. People that buy suites are corporations. It's why they say it's so big to be in D.C. or Philly or New York or the Bay Area to sell suites because individuals can't afford that. Even rich guys aren't going to pay that much money for a suite. It's going to come out of corporate money. Well, who the fuck do you think bought all the suites in Vegas? And that money was going to be huge. I, I just, let's just throw an arbitrary guess. Average 300000 a suite this year from Mark Davis, right? Let's just say he's got 150, you know, 75 suites. I, the number was going to be huge, the amount of money he was going to get in. Money that he was not getting at the Coliseum. Well, where was that money going to go? Pay back the loan that he took out to help finance the stadium with Vegas and to pay the league. Well, that money's not coming in right now, and he's not like a Jerry Jones or even a Jed who hasn't had that much money before the stadium, but then got the stadium, made a ton, and was able to just put some in the bank, right? Where Stan is a good example of why the Vegas thing never would have worked with Dean and Mark, because unlike Vegas, which can help Mark with the cost, the costs in, in California are just outrageous to build anything. Anyone listening knows it's it's fucking expensive to get your AC unit put in because the labor is so expensive, let alone remodel a house, let alone home. build a home, right? It does, let alone build a stadium. And what do they call, like, people like Albert Breer, people in the league joke about the stadium, call it, like, the $5 billion project. And if it wasn't for one of the richest men in the history of the world, the, the L.A. would have been a problem. Because Dean's not bringing anything to the table. He's not selling any seats. He's paying a dollar in been, rent. If Mark and Dean would have been combined, who would have been able to afford... Even Stan Kroenke, remember a couple, like a month ago, had to ask the league for like an extra $500 million. And they gave it to him. But think Mark and Dean would ask for an extra $2 billion, right? Their number would have been exponentially higher that they dodged a bullet there. And they might dodge a bullet with Mark because they could always kind of help him out, but it's going to be an expensive endeavor where if he had a richer owner move, like Stan, like Stan can just pay the majority of the cost and, and kind of eat it while it sucks, like every other owner in the league. Mark can't. It's why I think you just, you feel the anxiety. And I don't, I'm not blaming Mark. He had no control over this pandemic and the shutdown. But when you see a 31 to 1, you get a guy who's back up against a corner where the other guys aren't freaking out as much. Is that right. fair to say? Yeah, because even Stan, now Stan can't even vote with him, right? As we learned a few years ago. Like, Stan's like, no, I'm taken care of. Sorry, my loyalty is elsewhere now. Can't vote with who? With Mark. Did he, oh, he didn't vote for Vegas? Well, I don't know that he did or didn't. I'm just saying, like, there was a point in time where they were kind of together, right? Oh, the Rams and, and Raiders. Well, the Chargers and Dean and Mark Davis were kind of. Oh, I thought you meant Stan. I I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
But then it became just too beneficial for Dean to roll to with go Stan. with Stan. Yeah, yeah. And this this deal, I think probably that's where that's where Mark has said over and over he thought he kind of got rat fucked in the deal, right? Right. Remember, yeah. he was very bitter, even though he's like, I've got over it, took him, but it, it hurt. Remember, he was he was personally offended the way he got treated. Stan would be against Vegas from a standpoint of proximity, but really in terms of somebody else's relocation. Does Stan, do they, do they reduce, does, does the relocation fee that Mark owes, does that come out of what Stan owes? As a I would imagine if, if me and you sat down with Stan Kroenke and said, yeah, some of the fans that bought season tickets that might have bought Rams season tickets, but he's like, I, I would imagine the one thing he'd cop to is, well, the majority of money we're all searching for here is not individuals, it's corporate money. And the corporate money from Vegas wouldn't have come to me anyway, right. so it doesn't really affect me. And the corporate money that I have locked up for whatever they call it, that, SoFi. Oh, yeah, SoFi and so Allegiant. Fi. So the SoFi Stadium wouldn't have been affected by Vegas. So we're kind of independent that way. It's not as big a deal. And we play in a different conference. It might affect uh, Dean more because the conference, the connection, like if you're a Bronco fan, you can go see the Broncos there. You don't only have to wait right to, for them to come into L.A. or the Chiefs. Or, like, if you're a, a Patriot fan, they may come to SoFi. You can just go right. see them there. You don't have to see them in L.A. But I, I, I do think there's an element of just it, it, it kind of worked out perfectly for the L.A. situation that they got the richest guy or one of them in the league to handle this beyond expensive endeavor. Now, the Raiders situation, you know, if no fans are allowed all season long, that's going to have a huge economic impact on everything in Vegas, right? Because these casinos are paying a lot of money, just cutting the check to build the thing. I think you could also say, even if fans, some degree of fans are allowed, remember what you said at the beginning of this, part of, and I do think I've seen it with hockey, Vegas will support their local teams, but part of the projections on fans was people coming from out of town. So even if you have fans to some degree, I wonder... Let's say it's 50% capacity. Is 50% capacity, can Vegas, will Vegas fill that locally every week? Or will you still miss out because you don't have fans traveling in, staying at hotels? Maybe less people are just traveling in general. Right, that's the other element here is. It is an area that's very, very dependent on people flying in, in general, non-football, right? To function. Yeah, like which the, also the just raises thing. the risks of any of everything you're doing. Yeah, it's just. It's the perfect combination of disaster for an NFL move that's based in Vegas, right? Year one. The timing, there's an unlucky element of just, I could understand if I'm Mark Davis, where I just look in the mirror some days and be like, I can't fucking believe. Like, if, if this happened year three or year five or whatever, we, we would have been okay. But year one, year one, when everyone's put all their chips in the middle of the table for me to build this thing, Vegas has given us a bunch of money. Because it, it was shady money the way move. they did it. Like, if you're just doing your spreadsheet, it doesn't cost $50,000 to move. It costs more than that, right? Well, they started spending money this offseason. Like, it wasn't going to be that big of an issue. They just kept their foot to the pedal, which I, I, I'll i give the Raiders one thing. They've never acted cheap with their players, right? They've always been willing to spend money, even though they haven't had money like other teams. You know, with bonuses and stuff, or tried as well as possible. But You could argue Khalil Mack, but... That's a huge reason that they wanted this new stadium. And now the whole point of the new stadium was to get these revenues in that it might not be able to happen definitely year one, right? It's already, I mean, they were supposed to have the draft in Vegas. Like, it was all supposed to just be kind of the Raiders' year. 
you know, they were having big football games on primetime games early. I mean, it was going to be in Vegas. It was going to be a big deal. And now they're just – Is it a, I mean, L.A.'s getting fucked too, but it, it, he, can, he can handle the hit. Yeah. Is, is it a stretch to say being good matters even a little more if this situation – like in that are people more likely to stick with you financially, advertisers more likely to come to you yeah. if you're a 10-win football team instead of a 6-win football team? Or yeah, is, I think it'll be – I think it'll be pretty important to get off to a strong start in a weird year where people can just, re- it resonates with you, your team looks cool, you want to be a part of it. So people go, when I get my stuff up and running, or let's make an area in the budget for them, if we I'm, want to be with them. Yeah, if right? I'm a because local it, advertiser and I just got to decide where my money's going to go, maybe it's money that would otherwise have been in a casino, but now it's not, or would have otherwise been in the airport, and now it's not. Well, think about this. The pandemic right now, if you ran a business in Dallas or Pittsburgh, let's say, and you knew you had to market sooner than later, you wouldn't hesitate getting associated with the Cowboys or the Steelers, for example, right? If you if that's something that you desired to do right. and wanted to, like, to use them to help grow your business. like you, It wouldn't change your mindset because of the pandemic. It might change the timing of when you could do it, but you wouldn't be like, well, whether they're good or bad, this, it doesn't matter. Where I think the the Raiders and I think both LA teams definitely maybe the Chargers don't really matter but definitely the Rams like they are pretty dependent on these new markets given the amount of money that they want to generate on being good like I can't see just casinos wanting to be associated if they have three straight six win seasons right yeah because we, we know what that looks like it's boring but that might be it's a little not, far out to I mean obviously winning over a three year period matters the question is is winning this year. Does that help you in any way? It doesn't hurt I, you. I, it doesn't hurt you. I, I think there is a lot of pressure on them being successful this year. Yeah. Just make the playoffs, especially with seven teams. Uh, John, before we move on, let's tell the people about Manscaped. Manscaped.com. The promo code is HAM. Jump in. We appreciate the support, and the beauty is that, uh, well, you get Manscaped. 20% off and free shipping with promo code HAM. Yep, we've had the lawnmower 3.0 for a long time, been using it consistently for a while. Best way to trim your balls, best way to trim you know your back, best way to trim any hair that you don't want. You got a little body hair, the thing works, USB charged. Uh, they also send you a grooming kit with a bunch of different stuff. It really is fantastic, a crop cleanser. Uh, they have, you know, some testy deodorant. Yeah, <laughs> they got it all. They got, you know... Uh, it really is fantastic. They give you a great little travel bag to put your toiletries in, you know, like your toothbrush and everything. So when you're going a little night trip or whatever, mm-hmm. manscaped.com, promo code HAM, they're the, they're the best. Yeah, and the travel bag and the uh, patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxer briefs, those are two oh. free gifts you get when you subscribe. Uh, right now, get 20% off and free shipping with the code HAM at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor. Use the right tools for the job. Sun's out again today. Don't let it go to waste. Get 20% off free shipping. Code ham, manscaped.com. 20% off free shipping, manscaped.com. Code ham. Trim your chesticles with the besticles. I, 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 I wish I could tell you I came up with that, but I didn't. Sun's out, guns out. So uh, this is uh, another week of uh, DraftKings, which is not a sponsor, but we're, we're, we're playing DraftKings this week. I'm pulling for you, John, because I don't want you to quit. I'm getting mad, guy. I can't win any money. You finished I in the, uh, like the bottom five the last two weeks, right? 
Uh, yeah, I la- last week was atrocious. Like th- to me, last week was a low point for me as a as a daily fantasy player. Uh, yeah, I had to look myself in the mirror and ask myself why I'm doing this to myself. While everyone was having fun, especially you and winning money, it pissed me off. Two weeks in a row, I've I've had. I, I think I was in first place. I slept on a lead on Saturday night, which is really nerve wracking to wake up Sunday in first place. I finished fourth or fifth the week before. I also finished in the money, so uh, it's been good for me. See the difference between me and you to get in the game this week. I had to deposit. Yeah, that's right. And that that just that mindset and thought of I'm doing this because Justin Thomas couldn't make the fucking cut, mm. and he's just now. Granted, he's having fun with it, making fun of himself. But You're Justin, I hold you. Yeah, I'm not laughing at all. It got me thinking uh, as I made my lineup for uh, this week, uh, the match ham three. Would I be okay never ever actually winning a DraftKings tournament, but finishing in the money like fifty to sixty percent of the time? And I think I would be because I'd just make money. But when you, well, win- have you have you ever seen the communal games that you can get into and just look at like what winners get sometimes? You know, with a game of like. 20 15,000 people a winner can win like $7,500 the guy that gets first place yeah, I mean it's but I've placed in some of those games and got like 50 bucks it's a pretty good feeling I got in a, I got in a dollar game a couple weeks ago and I just I finished I don't even know 15,000 and made three bucks it's a good yeah. return <laughs> triple your money <laughs> so it just got me thinking and I asked you this hypothetical uh I thought we could talk about it today which is and we have to find the right golfers but basically what would you rather have? Would you rather have a professional golf career where you basically do what I've done for two weeks? You don't win, but you just make a ton of money. You're on the tour for a sustained amount of time. You're just a good golfer. Life more than comfortable. Your tour card more than safe. Occasionally, maybe you T9 at the open or something. And you're just majors. You're doing okay. It's one of these deals like you're always 28th coming into Sunday, but then we look up and you finished 11th. And it's like, oh man, that guy just made 715,000 or maybe that's a little much, but 350,000, right? You got sponsors because you're in the mix. You just, or would you want to make less money, but have a green jacket still live very comfortably? You know, maybe instead of 75 in career earnings, you've got 30 in career earnings, but you've got a major or you've won four times on tour. I think you always take the major, and it, we talked about it with other sports, and it doesn't parallel because it's an individual sport. You know, like Trent Dilfer or Brad Johnson, they don't get any credit, right? That's the thing about a team sport. You can't, like, no one's be like, oh, Luke Longley won three championships, right? No. I mean, he's he's talked about as an NBA champion, but when you look at him, you all know. But right? when you introduce yeah, him like, on your radio show, you call him three-time champ. You do, but still, everyone listening knows. But when you introduce... Mike Weir, Masters champion. Fred Couples, Masters champion. Yeah. Obviously, if you're a great player like a Tiger, a Phil, even Dustin Johnson, who has won a ton, he does have one major, right? So to me, his career, U.S. Open champion, Dustin Johnson. Even Kepka, who's now rattled off like four-time major winner. When I introduce you, and I think the Hall of Fame, did you see they're not going to be able to do the Hall of Fame? Mm-hmm. Like To me, once you get into the Hall of Fame, I was watching Faraday the other night, and he had Fred Couples on. You know, Freddie's so cool, and he's just talking about just the different moments, and then they show the clip of when he got to the Golf Hall of Fame, and Nance, you know, introduces him, and 
He's playing it cool, and then he starts crying because I think he knows. Like I, I'm not even introduced anymore as Master Champ. It's a Hall of Fame golfer, Fred Couples. Like there are certain ways that I talk about you and whatever you do for a living. It's the hard part about like a, being a businessman. Like, Irony no is, like, I think Masters Champion resonates more in golf with the yeah. See, me, t- see to me, like the Masters Champion, that there's nothing like that. You're the Masters Champion. You, to me, if you're Super Bowl MVP. You know, it's one like Nick Foles won a Super Bowl. He's a Super Bowl MVP. I like to introduce you to Super Bowl MVP. Right, not defense carried me Super Bowl champion. Yeah, or or three to me in basketball, like multiple time champion. The golfer thing though is pretty simple. To me, the Mike Weir or Ricky Fowler. I just Mike Weir won a fucking Masters. Mike Weir thirty eight million in career earnings. Ricky thirty nine million with. 31 years of age, so his prime's still to go, and who knows how much off the off the course. To me, once you get a certain level of wealth, you know, let's say $25 million, that's a lot of money, but let's you just get uh, that level of wealth. The major part of what you're doing, like, you spend all this time practicing. Like, the point of it, what Ricky has spent all his time, now you could argue he spent a lot of time in the marketing stuff, and he's good at it. But he does clearly has to spend a lot of time pounding balls, practicing golf to what to try to win a tournament. And if he never wins a major, like that's part of, you know, I made a lot of money and it's cool and I think you get respect and he's a nice guy and people really really like him. Like people talk about him like the Arnold Palmer of the tour. Everyone likes him, treats everyone well. He's part of what made Arnold Palmer, Cups, John. Yeah, I mean he's gonna have guy a fucking really successful career. I. Might have taken him this weekend. Maybe not. But I maybe. still think he's going to win one. I mean, he almost well, won yeah, the Masters he probably two years will. Ago. But to me, if you win a major, it just changes your life. It's just how you're introduced. Like, there's what we're doing. It's not like if we ever became the number one podcast, or like the number one show on YouTube. Like, what does that even mean? Like, but when right. there's something of like you are the next president of Disney, like something that's tangible that everyone can relate to, or you are the Masters champion, or this guy made a Pro Bowl. Like that part of sports, like the end game in sports, which I think we lose sometimes in the statistical world, is winning, right? And one of the things that makes golf like, why is Jack and Tiger and Arnold and Phil like they fucking win a lot? Why does even Dustin Johnson get a lot of credit? Well, because that stat he's won for twelve straight years on tour. It's an I incredible it's 13, accomplishment, right? But I, the 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 season is now staggered where it used to be like one tournament he won in like November. Oh, you know, I it carries you. over, so it's a little skewed. But the reality is, no one can d- dispute. Like he wins. Yeah, like, Dustin Johnson wins tournaments. Part of what you're talking about is the uh, un the immeasurable value of winning, and part of that is measurable financially, right? Like what did Mike? Weir, what has Mike Weir made because he's Masters champion? But it also assumes that you're someone who really has a burning desire to win, that you won't be satisfied fully with your career unless you won. And uh, I think if you assume that, then, yeah, there's a, there is a number you'd be willing to give up to win. But I also think there might be a number you're willing to take to not win. With one exception, that you never choke a major away if that's your only shot. Right, I think having eighty million in winnings, if you, if you never won and you're not you, like Ricky, when it's all said and done, will Ricky be if he just continues this career he's on? Will he be known for never winning or just being really good? 
I think he'll be known for being really good, right? Unless you three putt when you need to two putt to win the Masters, and then that's what you're known for. And I don't know if there's any amount of money that helps you recover from that. If there that was is your only a ca- shot. there is a counter though. Okay. If you are gonna have something crazy happen to you, you do get remembered forever. Is it worth it if you're Jean Vandeveld? I mean, Bill no. Buckner. I, yeah, I would. I would say no. Because being I, remembered once you're dead for something bad doesn't help you, and having to talk about that bad thing every time you do a card signing definitely doesn't help you. I, I did watch the John Vandervelt over Corona when yeah. I was on an edible, and my jaw hit the floor how crazy it was. It was just one of those moments where you're like, we always act, we've seen crazy things. Remember Jordan Spieth chunked it in the water like four or five years ago on 12 after he'd already hit it in the water and it just fell apart? And you just think, like, there have been some major moments. Guy, he had a three-shot lead going into 18. Three-shot lead. And had to hit a 10-footer for triple bogey just to get to OT. Like it, it, watching it and on on film, or I mean like on the broadcast, whoever's doing it, it might have been an older guy like a Nick Price, whoever's like, what is he doing? Or it might have been like Stuart Sink. No, it wasn't Stuart Sink. I forget who it was. Oh, Andy North was just like, pull out the three iron, hit the fucking thing to the middle. Of the f- what are you doing? And it was just, it so was watching this guy implode. hit the 10-footer to, make it, to get to a playoff? Guy, he hit his putt to make it to the playoffs was... At least eight feet. So it was a like clutch putt. not a tapping. Clutch putt. He pumps his fist. But think about that. He had to, he had a three-shot lead on 18 in the British Open when he had kind of been a nobody and had been winning the fucking tournament the whole time. He hits his driver like almost out of bounds. His second shot goes in the water, takes an unplayable. I mean, it was hits in the bunker, hits the bunker shot over the green. Like It was arguably the greatest implosion in the history of sports. Like I'm not kidding. Like, I'd put the Atlanta Falcons and John Vandervelt of the things in my life that I've seen that you're just jaws. You're like, no, no, no. Now the golf thing, unlike a football game takes like multiple drives. Like you're just on the same hole. It happens, you know, within a 10 minute span. Yeah. It was nuts, but he's never really going to win anything else. Like he is remembered. He actually had a lead, I think for a hole in uh, the extra holes. Cause they play four holes in the British open. Four holes, a long way to go with that on your conscience. Big time. Big time. So I I, w- I would choose the major, but the, it would also like I wouldn't want to just win the major and then win nothing else. Like I would want to be like, well, I have a successful career. right. You'd want to win the major and still just be good enough that you're you wouldn't want to win the major. I get to and be, then on be on tour, the Corn tour and, three years. Yeah, later. And get to go to all the majors and compete in them. But to me, winning the major changes your life, right? Like when you just go to a random club. If I'm Masters champion and I just show up at like Riviera, but my career wasn't great, this guy goes, that guy fucking won the Masters, you know? Like that's that's the thing about golf. You get to go where other people play. Like if I play football and I'm Brady, I don't get to just go where like other middle-aged men are playing football and they're like, how do you do this pass? I'm trying to run this route. No one can relate to that. Even baseball, like the, the amount of percentage of older people like over 40 that are playing like, Fast talk, you know, even like softball, it's not that high. Well, that's the, that's what's always cool about like a high school state championship game at Cowboy Stadium, right? It, it's probably the cool thing about basketball too. You go to most gyms, there are people playing pickup hoops that if just Kevin Garnett shows up, everyone's like, hey man, you want to play? Right. Like you can relate to that. I'd say golf though is the sport that most just people that can be shitty 
can just be like, whoa, I could play with the Masters champ. He's a member at my club. Or I part a hole that, remember Tiger bogeyed that hole? Yeah, just stuff like that. It's the one thing that golf has that the other sports just do not have. Just because you just, I mean, you're, I, I'm terrified to sprint that I'll put tear an Achilles right now. Let alone, like, I, I wouldn't go play flag football. I, I can't afford to, like, tear a knee. Can't be on crutches for three months. I'd, I'd add, like, 30 pounds. <laughs> you ever see how sweaty people are on crutches, too? The older they get, it's hard. Oh, always with a backpack a that's just... Like, I have a torn MCL. Do I need to get it fixed ever? I just can't go lateral. So, I mean, I can't play pickup hoops. If I ever had, you know, playing hoops with my kid, I, I, I can't guard... Not worth it. Yeah, I just I can't afford to go down. Nope. Nothing but respect for like McGlinchey playing through it because I you, feel it in my knee every day. I, well, it's just you just got to get through I can't, golf. I can't, can't do box squats. I was telling somebody the other day. Just I just I don't think maybe I was telling you this, but there are some times when I play golf and I just I get really mad at my parents for not putting me in golf as a kid because it really is just the sport you can just play forever. Yeah, they have if, adjusted if I, scoring, so you can play with other. We talked about this in the last spot. You can just play with other people, different strength, different tee boxes. They got. I mean, it's got everything. They have thought of everything. If I could do it all over again, that in the piano. pains me to say this, but I just you know I probably wouldn't have played high school football. What, what was the point of John Middlecoff attempting to fucking play right guard? I mean, I, I should have been banging chips. You know, and just playing golf. Well, it 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 helped you when it came to drafting uh, Danny the Fire guy. The fireman. Yeah. What was his name? It, it had no parallels Danny to my... Uh, no, Danny. Uh, Danny Willett is the guy the that golfer. Tyler Raber, my brother's friend, made the U.S. Open. He asked, like, hey, man, can I pal around with you on a practice round? And Danny Willett said no. <laughs> and he went out by himself. So uh, Danny Watkins. Danny, Danny Watkins, yeah. Yeah, Danny Watkins. Um, you know, when you and Dante yeah, Starnecchio were he, caught together at the combine, you're like, oh, man... He just wanted Boy, to be a fire Don't fire. I know it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I got an AC. I got an MCL. I haven't gotten fixed yet. Well, the irony is Dante Scarnecchia is my size. Like he is not like the greatest offensive line coach in league history. I mean, he's pro and now he's like 5'10, 150. Like he's really skinny. But he is not like Mike Tice walking through the door. You know? Really, Belichick's entire staff feels like a bunch of guys Edelman size, right? When you look at the corner, you don't see many like six foot four huge guys. Yeah. He's always had overweight short guys. Well, I mean, Oregon's offensive line coach, or he's the like centers and guards and co-o line coach, Alex Mirabel. I think he's like five seven. He's a crystal ball guy. Yeah, five seven. Where they find like, him built like a runner, like a distance runner. Alabama. Uh, probably. I mean, I don't. Chris, Chris, crystal ball was a college offensive lineman, right? Was a, yeah. Like that's that's his baby, the offensive line. Yeah, yeah. But this does guy he coach does... the offensive line at a practice? Uh, he does coach them. Yes. But I mean, yeah. this. But it's not like the guy that coaches him is not like a glorified note taker. Like Alex Maribel is really the offensive line coach. I underestimated Cristobal. Mm-hmm. I, I need to. Uh, Jeff Schwartz never let me hear the end of it. But I, I thought he was going to be a failure. And you know what? If you have that, I don't know how we got off golf majors to Mario Cristobal, but if you have that Nick Saban desire, I think Urban has it. Dabble has it. Just recruit. Yeah. Like, your life's on the line. It's hard to suck because you're going to get so much talent. And he's at a place where, hey, you want to play football, I don't know, at Oregon? Sure. <laughs> right? It's, they, they just have a lot of talent. Stacked, man. 
They're replacing four out of their five offensive linemen this year. So. Well, God, I mean, I was headed to Ohio State, Oregon. Now I'm not. Yeah, I know. Which I was told that uh, our buddy Brian Hawkins, other buddy Ali Odi, who's the nephew of the defensive coordinator, Nick. might have been able to get us some sideline passes. This was pre-corona. It sounded really cool. I said, I'll get the tickets from SeatGeek, and then it all failed. Promo code ham. Promo code ham. <laughs> all right. Uh, so let's do our first how-to here. Should we tell people about sleep number first? Yes, tell them about sleep number first. All right. This podcast brought to you in part by sleep number, John. Sleepnumber.com slash ham. That's where you go. Right now, the lowest prices of the season. You save 400 bucks on a sleep number 360 C4 smart bed. Now just $12.99, only for a limited time at sleep number stores. But the easiest way, sleepnumber.com slash ham. Well, guy, quality sleep, quality sleep is the key to your health and well-being. I know this. You know this. I'm miserable when I don't sleep well. Uh, this this summer, best of all, natural immunity boosting when you sleep well, helping you focus your mood. Think how think how angry you get when you don't sleep well. Uh, I've had a sleep number bed now for years. I know you do too. It, it just it helps a lot. It really does. And sleepnumber.com slash ham. They're really big on self-care. It starts with sleep. It's true. Reducing stress. Now, this is stressful times. I mean, no one can argue that. And sleeping is not always easy. But when you have a really good bed, and uh, for the first time, I didn't realize how important a good bed was until I purchased a Sleep Number bed. That was before actually they were even sponsors on the show. And you realize it is, you know, especially when you get a big king size one. You got a lot of room oh, to roll around. I highly recommend. Go a little extra. Go a little extra for the space. Can you ever imagine going back to a little midget bed once you've had a king size bed? No. Like just even the double bed that you think's big in like college, you realize once you get away from it, you're like, God, that thing is really small. Even hotels, we're like, uh, do you have the king available? Like, oh, we got the queen. Like, well, that'll work, but I'm not going to like it. (laughs) You see this body? I need space. I'm going to need two of them. We'll spread them out. Uh, Tips to calm a racing mind. Write down what's on your mind. Put your phone in another room. Focus on your breathing. That is... Actually, let's take a moment now. We should do that during the podcast. 20 minutes in. Breathe, lead some breathing exercises, listen to soothing music, and get a good night's sleep for crying out loud. Sleepnumber.com slash ham. Lowest prices of the season, $400. That's what you save on a Sleep Number 360 C4 smart bed. Now with just $12.99, only for a limited time at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash ham. Okay, here we go. Part one in the uh, Haberman and Middlecoff how-to series. Uh, next edition will be how to become a play-by-play broadcaster today how to become an NFL scout. John Middlecoff was an NFL scout. I think, John, some of your path cannot be duplicated, but that's how life is, right? It's most people's paths cannot be duplicated. Some basic tenets. You get this question all the time in your DMs. People ask me sometimes, how did Middlecoff become a scout? I tell them the story. They go, whoa. So let's talk about it. For anyone out well, there that's thinking about, maybe I want to be a scout, what do we do? For anyone that's young, this is the key if you're young, because this is how my career got started, in college, whether you go to USC or whether you go to Bemidji State, Bemidji get State. involved with the football Alma program. mater of? Uh, Trent Baalke. When I was at Cal Poly, I just got involved first with the athletic program. I didn't know, like most people, I, I wasn't quite, I wasn't Haberman, knew that I wanted to call a game. I didn't know, but I know I wanted to work in sports, had a lot of sports takes. At the time, Didn't there weren't that many avenues to give your sports takes. Actually had a little column, Johnny in the Box, was a lot of fun, Mustang Daily. And then I got, I started just applying for jobs in the NFL. This is probably like 2006. 
bl- just blindly uh, applying. I got a job with the Kansas City Chiefs in the sales department. So I was like helping this guy sell signage. This was really before the big NFL boom. Like they were doing well, but they were by no means just like money was, they were still hustling. I'm not saying teams don't hustle now, but it was like a legit hustle trying to get people involved. I would imagine with Mahomes, it's not that hard to get signage. And we're cold calling people, doing everything to just try to get like $10,000 signs. But while I did that, I started doing all this research because I was I see Herm and all these coaches. Like, I want to be part of that. And I just asked one of the guys on his staff randomly at like the lunchroom, hey, man, I, I read your bio. I saw you did this. You started in the business side, and you just helped out at night. Is there anything I can do to help you out at night? His name was Nate Wainwright. He's with Herm now. He's like Herm's right-hand guy. And he just gave me stupid tasks, and I would just stay at night, just do dumb things. And it only lasted like three or four weeks. But it got my juices flowing and realized this is what I want to do. So then when I came back to Cal Poly, it was my fifth year, I just started getting involved with the football program, helped them in recruiting. Now, it was unique. I, I, I talked to some people that are at like, you know, Oklahoma or USC, a bigger school. It's harder to just, you can't just walk into the football office right. and go, uh, Coach Meyer, Coach Saban, uh, you need anything? Like, it doesn't work that way. But... If you're just relentless with it, and I had an easier in because my football program was small, and then at Cal, and then I was lucky enough to get a GA job at Fresno State, which again I I graduated from college. I took a job that paid me in a scholarship, that I had to go to school to get paid my scholarship to get a master's degree, which doesn't have any impact on my life now. But that's so I didn't get like a fifty thousand dollar job out of college. I was making like nine hundred bucks or something. You got a little free swag, but even that I had to fight for. And for two years, to me, the key was working in college football. I learned, like, I thought I knew football, like any fan does, right? They think they know basketball, they think they know football. And you know this, like, you think you know sports. And then you get around, you know, a Gary St. Jean or a Pat Hill or someone in the actual that coat, and you realize, God damn, I, I got a lot to learn here. And I learned a lot. Like, I could not have gone to the NFL from Cal Poly. I wouldn't have fucking had any clue what was going on. So I was lucky at Fresno State for two years. I kind of got a blueprint. And again, lucky from a guy that got to learn from Belichick and Ozzie Newsom. So we scouted like an NFL team, traits. So I, I was really lucky that way. I didn't get to go to a division, you know, a power five school, but I got to go to a mid-major with a guy that was highly thought of in the NFL circles because he's been in the NFL circles and worked for Belichick. So I, I just got, I went to the right spot, but it wasn't on paper. People like, I don't think most people understood what I even did. Right? Like, be like, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah, hey, helping recruiting, GA, I'm on the staff. And it changed my and life. It was a lot of what? Watching recruit tape, cutting it up, kind of being a filter for the coaching staff. Yeah, but I'd even say it was like picking guys up at the airport. It was going on Monday mornings. You know, most schools now, like if you went to Oregon, breakfast is brought to the coaches on like a Monday morning during the season. That Fresno State was not the case. I would go pick up burritos, I would go pick up the dinners. I, we would do everything from like making sure the buses were on time when we travel. Like I got to do everything. It, it honestly is, and I bet when we get to broadcasting stuff, starting at something that's not super big, right? Because when you start at kind of a smaller operation like a Fresno State and not at like a Oregon or a Ohio State, you kind of get to do a lot because they don't have that much help. Right. So everything from like driving a guy to the AA class, <laughs> You know, I mean, at night, which might even be a violation now. 
but and just to do things from recruiting and to watch guys that we wanted to sign and build lists together on who else you know we was signing other places. I get to do everything that no chance if I was at Alabama I would have got to do because I've met these people that work at Alabama and they like work in a cubicle and just to get one role. I was lucky enough to do like a million fucking things. And just the most important thing was just learn about football. Right. But so you can't if you want to get because to any you're in of these the staff meetings, you're in all those. Yeah, I, I think the number one thing, my number one recommendation, and this is obviously this is a how to become a scout. But anyone that wants to become something, you have to get involved in that business and kind of learn the basics. Because once if your opportunity does come and you know nothing, they'll fly by you. Because once you get to the highest level, they are going full speed. And if they like you, like. I, I mean, I had to have my hand held a little in the league. Like, just there is a learning process. But if I would not have the basis to, like, be able to watch a player and be able to, like, check my ego at the door and pick people up from the airport and stuff, you will just get lost in the shuffle and you get thrown to the side. And to me, the number one key was just understanding and taking pride in, like, doing little shit. How much do Which, you- I, ironically, now at 35 years old, I, I just, I, I don't, I couldn't do that, you know? Well, yeah. How much do you think of what you did um, at the beginning with stuff you volunteered for? You were just around, and so you got the task because you were around, and someone's like, oh, John can do it, or you said, I'll go pick him up. Was that a lot of it, you, you think? You remember when we hosted that baseball hour with Burns and Euclid? Yeah. And Euclid said the number one thing he thought about his successful Boston Red Sox guys is they just had a lot of guys that said yes. Like, hey, you want to be in the lineup today? Yes. Hey, you want to do this? Yes. It just sometimes on bad teams, like, no, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to play in right field today. No, I don't want to face this guy. And I think just you see in life, a lot of people just naturally, I don't want to do this. What's in it for me? And if you're always thinking like that, and the older you get, you, you just naturally kind of think like that. But luckily, the, the best thing about being in your 20s is being kind of naive and be like, fuck, I'll go pick up these guys from the airport. I get to drive Coach Hill's Hummer there, you know? Or, hey, yeah, I'll do this. I'll do this. I was willing. My stop at Burger King on the way. Yeah, I was willing to do everything. Yeah, and a lot of it, looking back, was really stupid, but it really helped because part of it was like, I want to go somewhere. I don't even know necessarily where I want to go, but I just know I got to do all this stuff to go there. Yeah, that was so that was the currency to, that you paid in exchange for the access you got. I, I see sometimes people, and it's a big thing on social media, like you should never do anything for not being paid. If you want something bad enough, you should do whatever it takes to get it. Like that's just whatever it takes. Sometimes it sucks. Like, they don't have to pay you. Well, especially jobs. if it's something desirable because somebody else is willing to do it, right? Yeah. So, now, I think it's an interesting kind of point to stop for a second because you could have, from this point, you jump to the NFL, but you could easily have just decided, you know what, I'm going to stay in college and become uh, on, you know, you could have become a recruiting director at the college level, right? Because now there's... Those those jobs, though, at the time were a little more scarce. I think like five years later, I probably might have been like, well, why don't I just go to like Georgia or USC and be like the, the GM? Those jobs didn't really exist. So that, in my mind, because, I mean, once I got to the league, definitely when I got out of the league, you start hearing some of these stories like, ah, they're paying this guy 300 grand to run Baylor football. They were, you just start hearing these yeah. numbers you're like, oh my God. Yeah. You know, and you, you would meet scouts that, and I met a couple the last couple times I went to the combine, a guy that was in the league, got fired, went to college, and was like, I'm making double the amount of money, and I live in Athens, Georgia, and we win, and it's awesome. 
And th- those jobs guy didn't exist. So I thought the only way I could do something and make a decent amount of money, because I-, I wanted to make money, but I wanted to have, I just wanted to go to the pros, partly because I didn't want to deal with academics. What? That was another reason I desired to go there. But I, I just, I didn't have that many hey, other You don't want to deal with academics as, you don't want to deal with students, acad- other people's academics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to, because that's a huge part of college, getting guys eligible, checking SAT scores. Like, you spend a lot of times doing that. One thing we skipped over, which probably doesn't really apply to how to become a scout, but just briefly we should probably mention, when you were at Cal Poly, didn't you go and work for the Chiefs, but not, like, you interned for a summer with them, but it was not in the football department, right? Yeah. yeah. It was in the business side. So it was not It was not scouted. You had actually been in the NFL office, at least experienced what the NFL was like from a business side of things even though it wasn't any part of what came later for you well one thing I loved and I always hated this part of college at Alabama and and any big time power five program you have a lot more wiggle room because the guy you're recruiting like if the guy that you think is going to be good sucks or is a bad guy while you can't cut him you can just bench him at Fresno State you're a little more obligated to your most talented players your wiggle room's not you can't cut anybody and you just get stuck with these bad players why was that was one thing I learned at Fresno State? I really desired to like get to a place where if you have a shitty player, you can just get rid of him. That's why I wanted to go to the pros. It was just a business. You could just if the guy wasn't good enough, you got rid of him. And you realize it doesn't totally work that way in the NFL. Like coaches have favorites. Your front office fights. Like Coach Reed loves a guy that you know Chad Hall that you you want to replace with this other guy on a practice squad, and it doesn't work that way. But in your young utopian mind, you think that's going to be the case, and. I also, part of it at Fresno State was we had Ryan Matthews, so we had so many big-time scouts coming in, and I got to kind of see these guys, right? Because I, I didn't get, I didn't know anyone growing up. I didn't know anyone in the NFL. I didn't know any, if you said, like, there was a professional athlete at a restaurant when I was, like, 15, it would have been, like, the biggest moment in Davis history, right? Like, we talked about Ken Eason, the dude that played at UC Davis that went to, uh, drafted by the Jets, for like the my entire childhood, like this guy from around here, I was like, oh, we never stopped talking about it. I didn't know the, they they were like mythological figures. And then part of being at Fresno State, it kind of normalized it a little bit and realized, you know what, this is attainable. Yeah. This is possible. I do think what you said, what you just said, is really important. It'll come up too because I was thinking about it, making notes for how to become a play by play guy. But as it relates to you, like because you were in a place where there were scouts coming through, you got to know a lot of people. You just built those relationships. You also began to understand kind of just how they think, what it is they look for. And it, I, what you just said sounds really important, too. It gave you confidence that you can be one of those guys, too. Because I think both of these jobs we're talking about, the reason we thought about and you came up with the idea to do it, is it's these are common jobs. Like you turn on the TV and you see play-by-play guys or you read an article and you read about the scouts nonstop, nonstop. But you don't. it's not a major scouting. Right? Maybe now there's classes you can take and that kind of thing. People have courses. But no one really knows how to become one. Um, there's Because there is no there's no clear path to it. There's not... This is not become... Both, the, both these jobs, and there's other jobs like this, there's not you pass the bar, you become a lawyer. You take the test, of, you go to debt medical school, you become a... Uh, you pass the test, you become a yeah. doctor, right? So it seems like I always remember, and we lived together at the time... The experiences that you had meeting other guys, you would be taking the scouts to lunch, you'd be taking them to dinner, you'd be giving them background. That seemed, in retrospect, like a, a major part of the experience for you in terms of just getting maybe Ch- some it confidence. Changed my, it, and, 
it changed my confidence and also changed my career because those guys, when jobs came open, reached out to me. Yeah. Because by my second year, I felt more confident and comfortable in front of these people. I told them my desires. Hey, man, I want to do what you do. Hey, man, how do I get involved with your team? And then my second year, I got an interview with the Eagles. And then like two days later, the dude from Seattle called and was like, we got a spot too. It just kind of happened. But a lot of people I remember thinking like, how are you going to get to the NFL? How are you going to get to the NFL? I'm like, well, Pat Hill, he knows all these fucking people. And I don't think people quite grasp that. I'm like, I'm telling you, I see these people come in and they talk to them. Like, I know it. I see these coaches call, hey, hey, Coach Hill, uh, Bill Belichick's on the line. Hey, Coach Hill, John Harbaugh's on the line. Like, he was getting these calls, so I knew I had confidence that I was going to have the credibility to have a shot. You had an, you had I, an advocate. Now, may, you might still have gotten a shot because you know all these other scouts if you didn't have him as an advocate, but... You had well, the number one thing I'll never forget when I interviewed for the Eagles, Howie Roseman came out and be like, well, I have to interview anyone when the head coach comes down to my office and tells me I have to interview them. So like part of it was co- like that's Pat it's not Hill easy, called Andy right? Reid and Andy told Howie, you're saying. Yeah, th- there was a an, now Anthony Patch, who's still part of the staff, had reached out to Howie like I had advocates coming from all angles, but there is an element of. Of luck, like I've said this in my career, like the one thing I look back on doing what I do now, and I I enjoy it more because I'm able to take ownership, is a big part of just any success I've been able to have. Is I got credibility being with the team that I ended up getting linked with. If I had been John Middlecoff of the Buffalo Bills while Coach X was there, it wouldn't be the same. Because when I say yeah, I I can text Andy Andy fucking Reed, or I know even like Matt Nagy and Sean McDermott, like I have guys that aren't just like Freddie Kitchens, and I didn't control any of that. I got lucky to go to this place that just was that. Like I, or, or my other option would have been Seattle. Now I don't know if I would. But there might that be job, somebody watching this going, "I'll happily go work for the Bills." It might be a really well, yeah, good job. Well, yeah, and that's now, my right? thing. You you don't control any of that. And the thing is that even if you go went to the Bills, you do. It's just the nature of the league. Guys go everywhere. You just to me the key, the stepping stone. If you don't know anyone in the league, and most people listening or not, if they want to do this, is to go to college. And while you're in college, get involved with your college program. Even if you're a little older, you know, late 20s or whatever, you've graduated and you're really interested and you live in like San Jose, like San Jose State, they produce a dude every year that gets drafted. If you just are helping them out, break down some film at night after your normal job, who's to say that like an executive won't walk in, right? If you if you really are passionate about this. I know Gary V talks about this all the time. Like sometimes um, immediately, once you've kind of gotten far away from your passion, you're doing a normal job that you don't really like, there's still time in the day to do a passion at night. It's just it be it's hard. It takes time. It's exhausting, uh, but it's possible. Like you don't need to just write off your dreams and be miserable for the next forty years if that's if that's what you really desire to try. And sometimes what I've realized, like it wasn't a lifelong dream, but then it kind of became a dream. And then once I did it, and now that I can look back, I'm like, yeah, it was cool. It didn't change my life or anything, but it was it wasn't a, it was an experience that changed my career and changed my changed my life, I guess. But it wasn't like maybe what I had expected it right. to be. It's like, it, I think it's like any job, right? You think it's going to be a little more glamorous than it actually then becomes. Uh, now, where if you become a GM or like Joe Buck, there are glamour elements because you become really, really famous. But there are elements of well, what And you become so become successful, that. you don't deal with, right, driving your car up and down the West Coast for... Thirty percent of the year, yeah. Scout, and they I go. Mean, hey, listen, if you're going to go into Montana, make sure you do that before uh, right. late October. That's right. 
Uh, okay. And I guess one one other thing to mention: the world has changed, right? Since you first kind of took it, went out on this journey. Now, since you started it, uh, the p- people have been hired in baseball just because they wrote some analytical papers. Or now, I don't know if it happens quite as much in football, but I think it happens in football. It happens. All, it basketball definitely happens in football happens in fo- for sure. Right, in basketball, it's so the point being, if you're not in college right now, it doesn't mean, or you're not about to go to college, it doesn't mean there still isn't a path. But this was just your path. Well, I think there's never been a better time to get noticed in whatever your niche is by producing your own content, whether it's on your Instagram page, whether it's on your YouTube page, whether it's on your Twitter account. I didn't have that. You didn't have that. We just, we had to meet other people, right? You had to use other people to get somewhere. Now you can just get noticed if you can get a following or do something unique, you know, scouting players, create a YouTube page where you break down every player in the league and you could just forward, that could be your resume, right? Here's here's the guy, here are my scouting reports. You could write them up on your own. I didn't even know how to do that. So if someone is preparing for, like, hey, I'm working towards this, I'm not even at, I don't have my Fresno State job yet, but I want to be an NFL scout, and I want to make sure I can be as good, like, I'm going to get there one day, I want to make sure I could be as good as I can. What were the What was, like, the learning curve when you got to the NFL in terms of watching film, filing reports? Like, what were the things you didn't know you knew that it would have maybe it would have been helpful for you to know earlier. I think by the time I got there, I had a pretty good idea what players were supposed to look like. Now I needed to improve on certain positions and certain schematic stuff. Uh, to me, it was just really, really difficult to budget my time, and that it was like elements foot non football wise. I, I was lucky; I, I had learned a lot of stuff on football just on the job at Fresno State. That prepared me for the football element. It was more of just the daily pressure, and part of it's just Philly and how he's kind of a high intense guy. Where Coach Hill is intense, but he's California. He's a little more laid back. It was just really, really intense. And being a California guy, the intensity of it all was was hard. Like I, I felt the weight of the world on my shoulders every day when you walked in there, and I think. Now I'm, it's easier for me to be less stressed out and just take deep breaths and just understand that where you f- can feel overwhelmed when you're young. Actually, it probably would help if you got into it a little later in life. You had other experiences to not be like, listen, I can we make a to do list. You had to learn. I had to learn to do things like that. Like it's it's a big jump from being two years removed from Cal Poly to be in the NFL having to do like seven different things for Howie Roseman on a day. Because it's an unstructured like, environment, right? It's, it's, you just got to get this done as soon as you can get it done. You got to get it. There's a lot of moving parts. Things are constantly changing. Something while I'm doing a report, a guy might get hurt and I got to go pick up someone as an airport. My day was not like in concrete. When you hear these coaches say the hardest thing about being a head coach is just the unknown. It's where it's like a position coach, your day's very structured as like an intern you know, I think I can relate in the sense of the head coach or the GM. Like, your day is kind of unstructured. You're getting things thrown at you left and right all day long, 365. But I guess part of what I'm asking is what – so you learned how to evaluate talent, right? Now, maybe you uh, have I, some I natural, had a pretty good idea going in, yeah. So you had some natural abilities, but you – at some point, whether it was at Fresno State or at Cal Poly or with the Eagles, you had to learn how to watch film. I right? learned a lot from Pat Hill, watching recruits with him. He was passionate about recruiting. We watched guys, and we talked about – characteristics okay, so, and attributes so i want to become a scout i need to i don't even know where to begin how to watch film what do i do <laughs> yeah I, that's to me you probably need to buy some books like i think belichick's dad created a book 
I think Bill Walsh has a scouting manual. I, my, I had a buddy that tweeted or texted me about like Mike Lombardi's scouting book is pretty good, the genius book, and just read some of those and try to write your own reports. The other thing I think you have to do is just get exposure to a lot of different players. Like you can't just watch like Julio Jones, you know. You got to watch. Honestly, it's, it's harder to evaluate the the middle and marginal guys than it is like anyone can tell you Keenan Allen's good, right? Or Gronkowski's good. It's more like what's the difference between Mike Pearson and the practice squad guy? And that to me is what as I I spent more time in the NFL, I got really good at that because like. And we what, all know DeAndre Hopkins. What was Hopkins. that? You think? Like, was it that you were able to identify? Well, what yeah, you just spent a translate? you spent a lot of you, yeah you spent a lot of time just watching the film on individuals and going this works, this doesn't. So just seeing what succeeds, what doesn't succeed, and then it just takes time because you then got to see guys play in the league and fail or guys. And no, I was right or I was wrong about that person. So you just know kind of what works from a from an attribute. Now the other benefit I had is when you're around guys. You kind of know personality traits, what you like and what you don't. That's another thing of football, I think, why a lot of draft Twitter can be off. You're dealing with a human being. So, like, there's more to the stuff than just his physical attributes, and that's a big part of working in the league. So you gotta, you got to have a good feel for people, and that's, I think, why – listen, I mean, I, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but if I would have stayed in the profession, I was pretty good at it. Yeah. Though it just kind of bored me, and I didn't have as much passion like as Brett Veach, but I could hang as an evaluator with these guys. I'm not saying I would have fucking found Mahomes, but – just it's not the the good thing about getting into scouting like I, I i had i don't have the capability to become an architect i do not have the intellectual capability but the majority of people i do believe can be taught scouting in football because it's it's there are schematic stuff that is could get very challenging but for the most part in the nfl once you learn your team scheme or kind of what you're looking for you're just kind of doing attributes and what translates to the league not as much, you know, five steps here, seven steps there. It's not as much that, especially with younger draft players. With the NFL, it's more scheme matters more, the pro stuff. If you, you, you just, you, you got to learn a lot. Like I, I, I feel, you know, it's, it's, it takes a while. It does not happen okay, overnight. So it, it takes a lot of time learning what to look for. So you're going to college right now. That, that blue, and the same thing applies to broadcasting, right? That blueprint is, there are opportunities. Go bang down doors. Make yourself available. But what if you were 35-year-old John Middlecoff selling insurance for Allstate right now, and you're like, you know what? I've made good money, um, but I got I, I to gotta pivot. I want to become a scout. What do you think you would do right now? Would you start a YouTube channel where you're just yeah, my, scouting my, guys? My recommendation would be doing YouTube Instagram channels and doing breakdowns while – trying to study as much as possible on any scouting manual I could find, Belichick, Lombardi, Walsh, you know, those type things to learn exactly what to look for and then just learn through trial and error. Because the, the, the best way to get good at it is just write up guys and watch guys. And it's, it's a lonely process, guy. <laughs> just watching. You're not watching the game. You're watching one individual player. I remember how much you hated games. that. Or at least by the end Which how much it wore you out. Yeah, it just wears you out because most players, again, here's the thing. You're not just watching LeBron James. Which is what you, you want know? to do, which is the beauty yeah, of this Yeah, well, it's fun about this. You just talk about the fun guys. It's, it's a lot of like, well, what about DJ Jones? Because that is the guy that John Lynch wants to talk about in the meet. Should we cut this guy and bring in this guy? You're not talking about like, I don't care what you think about Nick Bosa. He's fucking good, right? Um, 
So was there ever a play like with broad, like for baseball broadcasters? A lot of them go to the winter meetings and hand out their tapes. There's like a bill. Uh, the the the, the, the combine's a big spot. But can so, can can someone who's not in football right now run into? Yes, the combine and the se- the combine and the senior bowl. If you want to get your shot, are the baseball winter meetings? Are the any industries? You know, uh, corporate retreat where everyone's there. Senior Bowl, a little less coaches, but every GM's there. But probably less, and maybe people are more accessible, right? Way, the Senior Bowl's the spot. Way more accessible. Combine, a lot going on, right? Because a lot of these guys are worried about their own free agents. Deals are getting done. They're hungover. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's long days. I would recommend going to the Senior Bowl and the Combine. Because otherwise, it's really just, it's clearly pretty difficult to run into these human beings. <laughs> Uh, but if you really want to do that and, and the YouTube, the tw- do Twitter videos, just do, you have all these avenues where you can just post your own content. Now you, you can't be worried about your friends making fun of you. You just got to do it. What do you think you about, really are passionate about it, about somebody who finding a way to work for a high school football team? Well, I mean, nowadays, some of these big time high school programs and like North Folsom, they're like a college program. Uh, some of the programs in Southern California was it Santa Margarita, uh, uh, Bishop O'Dea. I mean, Oaks some of these Christian. programs in California, De La Salle. I mean, these are just hard. Think of the think of the college recruiters coming in. Our buddy that we went to high school with, Yiji, who coaches on at Davis High. They just sent a guy to Colorado, six yeah. ten offensive lineman. Says it's you should see how many offensive line coaches from the Power Five last year came through here. So that's not a bad idea at all. Now you got to get to a program that's winning and probably producing some guys, but they would definitely be more likely to bring you in. That definitely is just an end to maybe meet some guys if you can't do the college route. But I think you'd underestimate how just a San Jose State or Fresno State, like the second-tier Division ones, would be open to some stuff. Now, if you live in Seattle, and yeah, Washington's going to be hard to crack, right? But maybe Eastern, Eastern Washington wouldn't. You know, schools like that. They're not in Seattle, though. They're up north of Poland. No, they're not. I mean, yeah. But you know what I mean. Yeah. Just wherever you live. Right. Sometimes just think about UC I mean, Davis. John, look, I know there are some San Francisco City College puts players at the division, right? You have other college coaches coming in all the time. The, the, here's the number one thing I know. You can make it to the NFL like seven different paths. And now with the world changing and social media and just online, there's never been an easier time to get your work out there. Because one of the problems I saw when I was a scout and I got fired is like, well, Beside the people I work with, how do I tell anyone my work? Like, how do they know I'm good? You could just post all your shit online now, you know? And just, here's my work. Here's right. what I think of guys. Right. It's never been easier. Now, the challenge with the NFL specifically is it is, there are just a finite number of jobs. There's only 32 teams. And yeah. that is where, you know, this is, I guess, how to become an NFL scout. But it really just is, if you want to be in, to, to the point you made earlier, um, well, college you mentioned is really ASU. Added positions, ASU's guys. scouting department is unreal right now. Arizona State, off the charts. And why? Because he wants to run like an NFL team. He wants to do it like the SEC, Stanford, Oregon. Every Power Five team is going to have a scouting department, wouldn't you say, in the next decade? It doesn't have it now. As yeah, long as they, they get back on the track I mean, and start yeah. making money again. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that, that, that didn't exist. Because if you told me, like, hey, John, uh, they got an assistant GM job open at Arizona State when I graduated Fresno State, I might have been interested in that. Well, I, w- I was talking to a buddy a few months ago, maybe several months. This was back early spring. 
about one of the his he he is the uh I don't even know if his job is like head of recruit I don't think he's he's just like an assistant in the department but he does a lot of stuff. One of the things he did was that his program was chasing one of the top players in the country. Didn't get him. Kid went to Clemson. But they were creating just highlight tapes and graphics, right? He was making, basically his project was, let's put together a packet to show this kid what we can do for him at our institution from a, from a video standpoint, from a statistical standpoint, from a historical reference standpoint. He's just doing projects. Um, do, do guy, did, like, did Howie Roseman, when you were working for him, ever receive projects from people that didn't work for him, you think? All the time, every day. And I'm sure there were plenty from MIT students, but there were probably plenty from not MIT students. Every day, those type deals. Now, what I'm saying, guy, is you can send an email with the links of it all. Yeah. Because the hard copy might not open. Yeah. It's it's never been easier. I'm telling you, never been easier to get noticed and more options in college. Do you think I would guess his email and just be like, first letter, last name, at eagles.com? Yeah. I I mean, it's... Yeah, something like you can try to do stuff like that. I'm pretty sure you can Google different people, but I'd say it's it's hard to get people on email sometimes. I, I do think if you you just need a baseline to start and you're a little older, start being active online and just posting reports and posting your opinions on players. And just get your work out there. And consistently reaching out to people. Would that be and be relentless in your pursuit of other humans being in contact with you. Yeah. Do not stop. And I think at the end of the day, even when you originally annoy people, I always, and I've learned this because I used to be like this, appreciate when someone's like, hey, want to come on the podcast? Come on the podcast. Even if I avoid you for a while, just keep coming at me. I'll eventually say yes. Yeah. You know, it's not that hard because I appreciate a hustle. And you don't need 32 people to agree to hear you out. You just need you just one. Need, you just or need you don't one. need, you know, there's whatever, well, there's 130 FBS teams, but power five. I mean, there's, you just need one person, right? And I, and I think that's probably part of a lot of people's story is you just have one person who goes, okay. It's not seven people are clamoring for you. It's one person who's like, ah, you know, actually, I do need somebody to pick up sandwiches. Exactly. And they'll even buy you a sandwich. That's, well, yeah, yeah. You need it bad. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.